Well, good evening. It's good to be with you all again. Uh, do we need more light in here, or are we good? Do we need it? These are this is above my pay grade. These decisions, uh, but the lights are on, so we'll just keep it that way. How was your day? Yeah. I wanted to start very similar to how we started yesterday. I'm in this really unique season of life where God has removed me from the everyday grind of church ministry and kind of put me in this wilderness of figuring out life on the other side of it, working with people who are still very much in it. And one of the practices that I think has been paramount to my own kind of sanity, it's one I really want to emphasize and share with you this week is just the pause and saying, how are you? But like you asking yourself that question. And so we're a day in. You got hit with a lot of different things. The question remains, how are you right now? And so similar to how we did yesterday, feel free to do that same exercise with your name and the connecting emotions Let's just take a moment up front just to reflect. How are, how are you in this moment tonight? In a second here, we'll be in Psalm 63, talking about the importance and need for us to be seeking the presence of God, but I think it would be really hard to just jump right into that if, uh, if you're not aware of where you are in this moment. And so we'll just take a couple seconds here. Feel free to journal it. Feel free to close your eyes. The lights are on. You're not going to fall asleep. It's okay. If you're risky enough to eat the salmon... I, too, am waiting to see what happens, uh, but we're in this together. So how are you doing? We'll take a second now, and we'll answer that. So God, we come to you tonight with a deep desire to, to hear from you, to intentionally move at a different pace, to unpack a passage in a different way, alongside of strangers maybe now acquaintances who very much understand the day in and day out of ministry. God, we pray that you would speak to that uniqueness as we unpack uh, this psalm together. We love you so much. Amen. Pete Gregg in his book titled How to Pray said this, The King of Kings requests your presence at the very seat of government. He offers you a permanent place on his, on his executive team so that you can influence his actions on behalf of the nations. It is an unspeakable honor. Yet we are often too busy, too disbelieving, or too insecure to accept the greatest invitation of our lives. Let me read it one more time. 
The king of kings requests your presence at the very seat of government. He offers you a permanent place on his executive team so that you can influence his actions on behalf of the nations. It is an unspeakable honor. Yet we are often too busy, too disbelieving, or too insecure to accept the greatest invitation of our lives. One of the dangers that I see among youth workers today is the desire to be relevant. And I don't mean that in the traditional sense. I emerged into ministry during the debate between postmodernism and how that challenge would radically transform the landscape of church and the tradition that evangelicalism had lived in since the 1940s, at least here in the West. And really, most of the predictions were true. There has been an erosion of absolute truth. Instead of absolute truth, and not stamping our, our foundation on that. Um, many spiritual leaders, many churches that were once well-respected and, and definitely operated within the pale of orthodoxy have foregone what we would call absolute truth for a version of my truth and your truth, all done under the banner of trying to win souls for Jesus. What I mean by relevance is that. Because I think behind our desire to be relevant is a desire for us to find the right tool or plug-in to make us both feel confident and successful in our roles without having to build the muscles to seek the presence of God in our lives. It's often been said about weight loss that if there was a pill that would do it, it would be the most popular drug on the planet. I think the version of that for those of us who serve Jesus in vocational ministry is that if there was an easy way to seek the presence of God, we would opt for that easier way as opposed to cultivating it ourselves. I've battled with a lot of things throughout my journey in ministry. I was sharing at my seminar that one of the battles that I have gone toe-to-toe with for most of my adult life is a diagnosis of severe depressive disorder and anxiety. Different times in the last several years, that, that depression has brought me to places of suicidal ideation, believing that the world would be better off without me, believing that my family would be better off without me, believing that I have nothing left to offer God. It's weighty. It's heavy. I go toe-to-toe with that dark monster often. I think the other battle that I find myself in is a battle to stay disciplined in seeking the presence of God in my own life. We all listen to the same podcasts. We all read the same books. We all sit at the feet of the same various Christian influencers and leaders. We could name names. And they're not doing anything wrong, so there's no need to. But I think in my own soul, it's easier to select the fast food option for getting spiritual nourishment as opposed to me as a soul that was designed, intelligently created, and formed and fashioned in the very image of the triune God. What would he have to say to me that's unique? What would he have to say to me that's unique to the challenges and the circumstances that I face here in my own life today. I think oftentimes we forget that God has spoken to us, that his scriptures are breathed out by the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. But again, the temptation is for us to find an easier way, 
The temptation is for us to regurgitate a word that meant a lot to us, but we really didn't roll up our sleeves and cultivate that. The temptation for us when we're tired, exhausted, is to fake it until we make it. I didn't want to be a Debbie Downer tonight, but I wanted to start by saying I understand that temptation. And so we're going to unpack Psalm 63 because I think it speaks directly to that angst that each of us who serves Jesus and his church have felt at times. Those moments where you have to give and you haven't received. Psalm 63 says this. While I'm reading, if there's someone who has a really loud voice that's good at projecting, who also has a version of the Bible that's not the NIV, if you could just be ready to stand up and read that when I'm done with the NIV version, that would be great. The Psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. Can whoever it is that wants to read stand up and do that for me? Yeah, just anything not NIV. It's fine. Thank you. I love David's back and forthness throughout the Psalms. Uh, I thought Katie, and obviously I'm incredibly biased, did an amazing job unpacking Psalm 13 for us this morning. As we talked about that concept of, God, how long will you make me wait? How long will you make me wait? Last night we looked at Psalm 62 as David just affirms, truly my soul finds rest in God alone, and God alone is my salvation, and God alone, and God alone, and God alone, and God alone. The thing I love about David's vulnerability and honesty as he writes is that I, I think it's an invitation for us to approach God as humans. Sometimes there is a temptation to approach God with what Jesus would say is lofty speech. Sometimes we approach God as if he doesn't already know the condition of our minds and our hearts. And so what we see tonight in David in Psalm 63 is this really beautiful example of David affirming who his God is, but the context of which these truths are written are massively important for us to understand because when you realize that David finds himself in the Judean desert as he writes this, please keep in mind, as a king, David is now in the desert, removed from all of the luxuries and accoutrements that would accompany a king in his palace. This is someone with great authority, with great influence, with pleasures at his right hand, with comforts under his feet, his butt, and his head at night, 
David has it made. But when he pens this psalm, he's in the desert. And as we've kind of poked and prodded at throughout the course of this week, I, I think it's fair to say as I've taken the pulse throughout our time together where a lot of us find ourselves, not everybody, but a lot of us find ourselves, is, is in a type of spiritual desert as well. And I think it's easy for us to get into that place in ministry because we live in the age of Gary Vee. Hustle culture is rampant. Success and grind and work are the mantras of our day. And I don't ever want to discount or discredit the need for hard work and for dedication. But I think sometimes we as ministry leaders think that we can trick the hand of God and the blessings that come with it onto us and our ministries through working hard. This psalm is a stark contrast to that idea. David finds himself in a desert. A spiritual desert would be defined like this. A season of feeling isolated from God's presence or feeling spiritually lonely. David finds himself very much in a desert, isolated from God's presence, the temple, and lonely. He's likely alone as he writes this. As leaders, I'm sure you can relate to the truths found in this passage and the language used because we are all in the middle of one of the craziest times in modern history. On the heels of a global pandemic that has massively disrupted the way churches worship and gather, many of you missed out on high school or college graduations because of COVID. Many of you are now serving junior hires and, and young high school students in their first couple years who had to navigate going to school online and the subsequent lack of education that came with that because the systems weren't in place for schools to be able to educate students in that way. You're now dealing with students who probably focus less than they did before the pandemic, who are falling behind worse on grades than they did before the pan pandemic, or with students who have had the bar so pitifully lowered for them that it's impossible for you to hang a picture of what it means to cultivate a relationship with God in front of them because the work that it takes is in a stark contrast to the level of effort that they're being tasked putting into the various things that they do as students. We also live in a season of political divisiveness unlike most. It's impossible to turn on the news and not roll your eyes. It's even more impossible to talk to your parents who are older about your political beliefs without them berating you and telling you that if you were older, you would understand things the way that they think them. It's hard for us to touch on topics like being pro-life. It's hard for us to talk about the care and concern we have for Israel. It's also hard for us to talk about the care and concern that we have for innocent Israeli and, and Palestinian children, civilians who are being just decimated and destroyed amidst that war. These are things that you can't sit in front of a church and say without there being a line on one side or the other lining up at the end of a gathering to tell you why your perspective is wrong. And what that does is it robs you of getting to have a perspective. And so what we tend to do in those moments is we tend to turn to people who we value as wise, who have opinions that we would say we agree with, and instead of forming and fashioning and sitting before the Lord with the weight of the world and the way things are, we tend to just go, well, they think that and they're well-liked, so I think that now too. And that posture is something that we take into our faith. 
And what happens is a type of faith that is built upon the opinions of others, the cultivation of others, the spiritual disciplines of others, is not a faith that has the strength to stand the test of the weight of the world today. It is crucial that you, as a ministry leader, are sitting before God, that you are finding times throughout your weeks and your days to be disciplined in opening his word. Barna recently reported that three out of ten people are dealing with severe loneliness as a result of the last few years. Three out of ten people are dealing with severe loneliness out as a result of the last few years. That means you and that means the students that you serve. This psalm speaks directly to what we can do. Because David, in a world where he can, and in a world where we can, worship whatever we want, and depending on how you define worship, it's, it's kind of a fun conversation for us to have. Worship, in my mind, in 2023 terms, is where you dedicate your time, tef- effort, your time, attention, effort, money, and energy. Time, effort, attention, money, energy. Does that make sense? I would say it again, but you guys went cross-eyed. David says, you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. When's the last time you played hide-and-seek? When's the last time you tried to find your wallet or your keys when you were running late for work? If you're anything like me, you suck at seeking. I give up fast. It's not an uncommon line to be yelled across the Fen household Babe, have you seen my... Now, she would say, it's, it's where you left it. And I would say, if it was where I left it, I wouldn't have to yell, where is my super suit or whatever, right? <laughs> it still works. All these years, the Incredibles still works. You heard that in Samuel L. Jackson's voice, huh? Generally speaking, we're not good at seeking. I think modern dating is a really great example of how terrible we are at seeking. I have a teenager who's had a crush on a girl, and the things he's willing to say in a text message are so vastly different than the things he's willing to say in person. Maybe some of you can agree to that. I'm not from that era. (laughs) I didn't have the luxury of typing. I had to find the words to say it. Unfortunately, I think a lot of us lack the muscles and the discipline to seek God in the ways that he traditionally has been sought, and specifically I mean through the act of the spiritual disciplines. And so what happens is we're used to immediate dopamine hits, we're used to immediate rewards, we're used to I want it, I will get it via Prime the next morning, and sometimes, to my surprise, the same day. Have you had that happen before? Where you're like, I ordered batteries last week. I think it was batteries. It was something that I needed, but like didn't really, like I should have gone to the store, truthfully. And I ordered it, and, it, and then it came that night. Wow. Who said wow? Thank you. I don't know if you were mocking me, but that's how I felt. I was like, wow. Why would I spend my own gas money when I can spend Bezos' gas money? You know what I'm saying? 
But when that's the society and the culture that we live in, it's no wonder that, that half of our young adults are walking away from church upon graduating high school. God is not someone who we seek for instant rewards. The presence of God is not something that we seek to instantly find. The presence of God is not a feeling. The presence of God is not an emotion. The presence of God is something in our lives that we cultivate through discipline and time. The presence of God is not something that we, that we seek in order to have it reciprocated on us. God, I really need to teach this sermon. Can you please meet me here? God, I didn't study for this test. Will you please help me pass? I always pray he never answers that one too. <laughs> yeah, please don't bless me for that. He goes on to say, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. He, he goes on to use like primal human language, right? God, I thirst for you. What's the thirstiest you've ever been? I was, uh, I was hunting in Idaho, which ultimately involved a lot of hiking, and I had no water bottle, or I had no water in my water bottle, and um, rookie move. And I was with my father-in-law, and the older I get, the more I understand this about my father-in-law, but hiking with my father-in-law is really a competition to see who quits first, Right? <laughs> He's in his mid-60s, and he still kicks my butt, and I think he loves that. Like, I think that's, like, his thing. Like, he knows he'll always beat me up a mountain. Not, like, beat me like that, but, like, he'll get up there before I, I do. I'm much bigger than him. It, it was important for me to say that to you. <laughs> I got his daughter, so. <laughs> you, can, you can beat me up the mountain if you want, but she said yes, so... He did too. He's a great man. We've been hiking. It, it, was, it was about nine miles into this hike, and we had to actually double it because we had to go back. And I saw this little tiny uh, spring shooting out of the side of the mountain, top of this mountain, middle of nowhere. How could there be any microplastics in this? You know, like this has to be good water. And I filled up my water bottle and drank it. And to my delight, it's the best water I've ever had, even still to this day. I think it was the best water, not only because I was thirsty, but because I worked for it. When David says, I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, David is using the essentials of human life. He's going to talk about food, water, and shelter in this passage. Food, water, and shelter. The three most necessary basic needs that we have as humans to survive, he equates that to his longing for God. Think about that. Is that how you feel about God? Is that the level of desire and the depth of pursuit that you have for the God that you stand on stages and represent week in and week out? He says, I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. He's recalling times where he has seen God move. It's so important for you to remember that just because you don't see God moving now doesn't mean he didn't and doesn't mean he won't. Just because you don't see God moving now in your life, in your ministry, in your relationships, 
doesn't mean that you tricked yourself into believing it in the past and does not mean that he will not in the future. It's a desert. It's just a season. He says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. And in your name, I will lift up, oh, sorry, I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. He's in a desert, and what filled him before has been removed. And what does he turn to in that moment where the most basic things that have gotten him through the day are no longer there? When he's in this desert and he's professing and proclaiming the love that he has for God, David turns to praise, what we just did. David turns to singing. He turns to worship. My wife and I, as I shared, celebrated 15 years of marriage back in March. I know 15 years into marriage what makes her feel loved. I know far better 15 years into marriage what makes her feel loved, way more than I did in year one and five and 10. And hopefully years 20, 25, and 30 will only yield me a better understanding of how to love the woman that God has given to me. With God, there is no guesswork in what he desires from us. It's praise and it's worship. The worth, the worthiness of God's glory, the worthiness of God's holiness demands our praise. As David is longing for God, one of the primary avenues that his longing turns into as we get to hear his heart poured out on this page is praise, is worship. Our times of spiritual dryness have to be filled with praise. This gratitude forms how we think and takes the focus off of ourselves. Controversial statement coming. I think some of the most selfish, narcissistic people on earth are worship. I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. <laughs> I think some of the most selfish and narcissistic people on earth are people who are hurting. I struggle with a chronic illness. I have psoriatic arthritis. It's great. It's awesome. My joints at 26 started deteriorating, and I break out in these red, flaky rashes. It's beautiful, really. I look like a burn victim. If I'm not careful, all I will talk about on days where I'm having a flare-up is how much pain I'm in. The focus is on me. Friend, when you're experiencing the spiritual deserts of life, which come often, and they go often, you have to remember to take the focus off of yourself because the point is not you. You are not the focal point. Worship is what helps us to do that. Worship and praise is what helps us to turn our attention back onto its rightful place. Because as men and women who have heeded the call to serve Jesus in any form or fashion, in vocational ministry, in serving his church, the thing that he died for, the thing that he promised the gates of hell won't prevail against, you are not the focus. Christian ministry is not a place for you to find a following or you to find success. That's not the point. The point is not that you get really good at preaching and you grow a following and in your mind you'll use this line. You're going to say, well, I'm doing this because I want to share the gospel. Great. Are you going to disciple people too? 
Gosh, sharing the gospel has been used and abused to advance the name of Jesus with zero plan for discipleship. And then we find ourselves in a culture where people show up saying, give me, give me, give me. And we wonder why they never want to give back because what you save them with is what you save them to. And so if the gospel message that you're preaching in your ministries is that Jesus came and Jesus died for you, and that's the end of the message. Jesus said he came to offer an abundant life. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and pick up his cross daily to follow me. That has to be a part of your gospel presentations. Sharing the gospel and saying goodbye with hopes that they come back next week to hear part one of your relationship series does not cut it anymore. I love hearing stories of of youth nights that explode, two, three. I I heard of one in our area. 800 high school students showed up for fall kickoff. Yeah, half you looked how I did. In our flesh, that sounds awesome, doesn't it? That looked good on social. When I'm in the youth pastor circle, I'm at this church, we like 800 kids. It's really like, you know, uh, Healthy things grow. Yeah, so does cancer. Where's the discipleship? Where is the life on life teaching people how to follow the ways of Jesus? Where is that happening? None of that was in my notes. I have no idea where I'm at. Okay. Um, (laughs) Oops. What I was talking about was how we have, like, praise takes the focus off of ourselves. When you're in a season of spiritual dryness, the tendency that you have is going to be to want to focus on you and your pain and how this hurts. And that same mindset will change when the season does. That same mindset will carry with you when the season does. So when things turn around, when life isn't as hard, is the focus still on you? Have you noticed that it's so easy to pray when times are tough? Have you noticed that it's so easy to cultivate a discipline of spending time in God's word when times are tough. It's so easy to let it go when things are good. We started a nonprofit two years ago, and as I shared, there's no profits involved. I watch our budget like a hawk. And when I have even just a little windfall, a tax return, sell something on offer up, I blow that money so fast. We can go to Ruth's Chris, you know? I might buy that new pair of shoes I don't need but have had my eye on for a while. I think we do the same thing in a spiritual sense. Life is hard. Times are tough. God, where are you? God, thank you. God, I love you. No matter what happens, you're my God. Things turn around. When's the last time you had a meaningful, quiet time with God? Honest question. When's the last time you had a meaningful, quiet time with God? Please say this morning. Please say this morning. Please say this morning. Barna did a study in 2022 where it talked about the challenges that we as pastors have and the the motivations that we've put on ourselves to um, consider quitting. So here's the article titled, Ministry Challenges by Pastors Who Have Considered Quitting. 56% of pastors say, I consider quitting because of the immense stress of the job. 43% say, I feel lonely and isolated. 38% say the current political divisions. 29% say I am unhappy with the effect this role has had on my family. 29% also say I am not optimistic about the future of my church. 
29% say my vision for the church conflicts with the church's direction. 24% say my church is steadily declining. 22% say I'm not satisfied with my job. 21% say I don't feel respected by the congregants. 19% say I don't feel equipped to cope with ministry demands. 12% say I don't have what I need to be successful in my job. 12% also say I don't feel supported by my staff. 10% say I feel called to another profession outside of church ministry. 6% say I have experienced a personal crisis of faith. 6% also say ministry is not what I thought it would be. 6% also say I don't feel respected by those outside the church. 2% say none of the above, some miraculous reason. And 21% say something else. Very valid, very real things that even I myself at times have considered quitting the ministry for. So why are you still here? You. What's your why? Why are you still in ministry? Despite its challenges, despite the ups and downs, beside the mountain highs and the valley lows, why are you still here? There has to be a motivator deeper than yourself to keep you going. David knows this. In verse 5, he says, I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. David's talking about fatty foods, which is kind of awesome to think about in an in a early ancient Jewish setting. Fat is like one of the most important food commodities people could come by. And so the, the satisfaction, after eating mostly only bread or grain-based things, you finally get some meat, and that meat has fat on it, just imagine the satisfaction, uh, the, 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 the glisten it would leave on your lips, the, the satiation you would have on your tongue and in your belly as a result of eating after you've been starved. How good that would feel. That's the kind of satisfaction he talks about with God. He says in verse 6, six on my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. In the most intimate quarters of the king's palace, there's an invitation for God to sit and to be present. There's no room off limits to God. There's no space in a room off limits to God. May the same thing be true of your hearts. He says, because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you and your right hand upholds me. I get that picture of like a chicken with all its little chicks under its wings as predatory birds are circling overhead and those cute little yellow things that apparently only are born at Easter. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a farmer. I don't know these things. But he talks about that safe place. He talks about the, the rest that he can find under the wings of God, in the presence of God. C.S. Lewis said that pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures speaks to us in our, con in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. As leaders, authenticity is always better than competency. Here's why I share those things. Because David's in a desert, and he's proclaiming the only truths that he knows that can get him through the dryness, that can get him through the isolation, that can get him through the loneliness. Paul affirms this in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Do you remember when, Paul's, when Paul talks in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 about 
the thorn in his side, about the difficulties that he's had. It's an, it's an awesome, awesome verse in this context. Let me turn there for you. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says this. Oh, that's 1 Corinthians. <laughs> do you ever do that? You're like, that's not what I put in my notes. I would love to hear like what your best got out of it story is when you like mess your notes up and you're like, uh... He says, uh, he's talking about this thorn in his flesh in verse 8. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. This is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I'm weak, I'm strong. James says in, in his book, in the first chapter, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of various kinds. That sounds otherworldly to me. That sounds like you don't mean that. It sounds good, but you don't mean it. Of course they mean it. Because there's a secret. The secret is comfort will never take you to the places that suffering will. In your faith, comfort will never take you to the places that suffering will. It never will. So again, C.S. Lewis said, pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And so friend, when you find yourself in the midst of a desert, how you respond to that matters. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. When you find yourself in spiritually difficult seasons, the presence of God and praise are the tools that help carry us through it. God never wastes pain. With God, pain is never wasted. He promises to work all things to the good of those who love him. God promises to redeem. God promises to use all things to the good of his glory and his purposes and the advancement of his kingdom. You don't have to be perfect, but you do have to be present with God. Richard Foster says this in his book, The Celebration of Discipline. He says, the desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. I think I've worked this quote into like five of the last eight sermons I've taught. Because it's the antithesis of what I have in my own heart. I'm trying to build a nonprofit organization. Man, it'd be great if I had tens of thousands of social media followers. It would be really easy. I put on an event two weeks ago in Carlsbad for young leaders. Never marketed anything harder in my entire ministry career. Reached out to churches, called senior pastors, called in favors, paid for Facebook ads, leaned on former clients. My goal was to have 50 people, including me and my speaker, and two people from an organization that we've been working with through these events, I had 13. 13 people. Do you usually include yourself in the count? I still do that. I picked it up from my youth pastor days. <laughs> if someone's pregnant, counts as two. <laughs> Double it. <laughs> do you have twins by chance? Ah, darn. <laughs> 
dare I say, triplets. <laughs> We'd be inviting Octomom to all of my events. So I guess just double it right away. You're old if you understood Octomom. I was forced as I sat there, watching this event go actually perfect. We, we had a speaker who uh, is just, just fantastic in speaking to other leaders. The room was like this really cool, modern-looking space. We had Chipotle, gluten-free option for Natalie. And I found myself the whole time going, why aren't there more people here? If I wasn't careful, that event would have been a failure because attendance is what I was hoping for. God didn't ask me to have 50 people there. I wanted to have 50 people there. God asked me to start an organization that would care for, equip, connect, and encourage young and emerging leaders from around the country. That's what God asked me to do. I tried really hard to get more people there, but they didn't show up. The people who came got to experience the fulfillment of the mission of Onward, but I was still really sad that there weren't more people there. So what do I do with that sadness? I take it to the Lord. God, help me, help me figure this out. If, you're, if your success and if your identity is found in the size of your platform and the amount of butts that are in the seats... You're not going to make it. You're not going to last. The, the numbers are not up to you. I'm not saying that there's not things you can do, and I know that in modern times we put a lot of emphasis on excellence. Does your church use that word, excellence? Anyone? Don't be shy. You can use that word. Yeah. I like that word because I think what we do for God, we do want to have excellence. But I also think excellence can be weaponized. Excellence at the expense of people, not interested in that. Excellence at, 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 to the advantage of God's glory and to the, and to the uh, beholding of, of the person of Jesus, absolutely. But you have to check your heart on that one. He says, because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you, and your right hand upholds me. If you, if you miss God's presence, you miss the point. We're heading into the Christmas season, and in, in Matthew 1.26, the name given to Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus came to be with us. The best ministry you'll ever do is done with Jesus, not for Jesus. The most healthy the most whole and the most holy you can be as a ministry leader is when you're marked by time spent seeking the presence of God. There's never been more tools. There's never been more resources. There's never been an advantage like you have today to seek the presence of God. But at the same time, we are better resourced than we've ever been. We are also more busy and more distracted than we've ever been. And so the thing that you have to do is going to be the thing that is in a stark contrast to who God is. You are going to have to stop and set career ambition aside and set busy schedule aside 
and set all the different things aside that make you want to get up out of bed and start kicking butt and taking names. And you have to pause and you have to get your heart centered with God. Brother Lawrence, if you don't know about him, look him up because I, I, uh, he wrote a really short book. He was a monk who worked in a kitchen. Have you guys read Practicing the Presence of God? Mandatory reading. Absolutely read that book. Practicing the Presence of God. In that book, Brother Lawrence says, I cannot imagine how religious persons can live satisfied without the presence of God. Sorry, he said, I missed a word. He said, I cannot imagine how religious persons can live satisfied without the practice of the presence of God. Do you see the difference? It'd be easy to say, you're never going to make it without the presence of God. That's not the point. The point is that you practice the presence of God. Practice the presence of God. Acts 17, 28 says, For in him we live and move and have our being. In him we live, in him we move, in him we have our being. In him you serve, in him you teach, in him you preach, in him you shepherd, in him you disciple, in him you program, in him you budget. Hopefully you budget. Learn how to budget. It's so important. In him you have your whole being. Don't don't let the... Don't let the discipline that it requires keep you from practicing the presence of God. David knew that in the desert. And it radically transformed him. At his best, his practice of the presence of God is what upheld him. At his worst... His practicing of the presence of God is what brought him to repentance. The same thing will be true of each of you in the ministry journeys that God has for you. Practice the presence of God. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word and for how it speaks to us. God, I pray that you would help us to be disciplined men and women who who practice the presence of God in our lives. Help us to not look or seek any place but to you for what only you can offer. God, help us to be satisfied with spending time with you, even when it feels like we got nothing out of it. Help us to be satisfied spending time with you when we're hurting, when we're in pain. Help us to be satisfied spending time with you when we're burdened, when we're tired. Help us to spend time with you, God, when we're excited and things are going good. God, we love you. We thank you so much. It's in your name we pray.